Welcome to Software Security Chat Chat, episode 97 for August the 10th, 2012. I'm Chester Wisniewski, and my guest, returning guest from last week is Peter Zabo. Welcome back, Peter. Welcome again, Chet. We had talked about four of the DEF CON and Black Hat talks we had seen, and there were still more interesting ones when we started writing all down, you know, down all the different things we had seen and what we wanted to talk about. So uh, we're going to pick up where we left off last week and cover off uh, four more of the talks that we saw. And I'm going to start with one of my favorites. Um, and I, I love the point more even, uh, the, the point of the talk, which I'll uh, get to in a second, even more than the specifics of it, just because it is something I think we really need to learn from. Another great speaker, Moxie Marlin Spike, uh, was on stage along with um, David Holton, defeating PPTP VPNs and WPA2 Enterprise using MS Chat V2. It's a bit of a mouthful. Took the words out of my mouth. <laughs> but the idea is, uh, you know, Weak cryptographic stuff in MS Chat V2, and, and Moxie did a great job of kind of walking through all the different, uh, I don't want to call them mistakes, but, well, they're mistakes. I mean, the, the, the very concepts that went in the design of this protocol clearly were not from someone who's well-trained in cryptography it's or like really understands design flaws and actually you know this that's another great point that I, I took away from this in that most of the time when we see problems with crypto out there don't just because somebody says they use aes or they do this or they do that that doesn't really mean anything the implementation of it is everything it, it, one little mistake undoes all of that work that you've done to try to build something secure and that was basically the the point of ms chap v2 there's there's a lot of misuse of des and padding of keys and different things that that moxie discovered in his research which allowed him and and david to program a whole pile of fpgas which are field programmable gate arrays in essence it's a way of um making a, your own chip like an asic but yeah. doing it in software so, so it's custom get, logic effectively yeah you get the efficiencies of having a custom chip with the flexibility of being able to program it like a computer and uh, doing this, they're, they're, they started this cloud service where they're offering to crack MS Chap V2 hashes for, uh, for I think it's about $100 uh, and, and do it in 24 hours, which is quite frightening considering... Quite, quite economical too. Well, yeah, economical because I can sit outside your building and watch people authenticating to your Wi-Fi over WPA2 Enterprise. Everybody goes, oh, WPA2 Enterprise, I'm safe. Perhaps I sold it too cheap. Well... Yeah, they should jack up the price. I'm sure it would be interesting to see who your clients would be as the price increased. But um, the problem is people are associating things like WPA2 or WPA2 Enterprise with I'm safe. When if you choose an insecure authentication protocol like MS Chat V2, you've undone all that work again. That's not to say you should go back to WEP. No, no. Obviously, WEP is a more poor choice, but um, choosing things that are more secure than MS Chat V2 uh, would would be a good thing, and, and you know here at Sophos we use certificates, right? We issue client certificates to our machines to allow us to connect to our official secured internal networks, and that is a much more uh, reliable. So WPA2 in and of itself may be a secure protocol to negotiate things. That doesn't make it secure if you choose insecure authentication methods along with well, it's it. It's just like choosing poor passwords, as Graham's already pointed out once. Yeah, well the password problem. I mean that's that's another I guess problem with. I I imagine it wouldn't take a day to crack if they actually started based on a dictionary attack as opposed to a brute force attack because most users, uh, yeah, we probably don't need to go there. But the, the point that I thought was interesting that Moxie was making is that we will continue to use these outdated, poorly implemented protocols, even though we know they're broken, 
just because of their ubiquity. Well, you got to support it. Everything supports it. So you got to have it. And we really got to get away from that mentality. And that was part of the, his reasoning for presenting this was if I massively discredit this protocol that shouldn't exist anymore, maybe that will scare everyone into not using it because research was done as far back as like 2003 showing it to be insecure. And yet here we are in 2012 and every product still implements PPTP so, in a VPN so solution. Security, security through obscurity turned around? Uh, yeah, uh, security through uh, infamousness. <laughs> security through ubiquity? Yeah. In insecurity through ubiquity. Yeah, it is insecurity through ubiquity. And, and so um, if you're out there and you're using MS Trap V2 and your WPA2, you might want to think twice. If you're still supporting PPTP VPNs, maybe uh, you know step it up a little, look into this IPsec thing. I I'm, I'm glad good. I don't have to say that. <laughs> well, I mean, speaking of like, you know, figuring out hardware and stuff, you went to this frack talk. What uh, When I hear fracking, I mean, in the US, everybody's talking about fracking for like finding natural gas and things, but I have a hunch it's a bit... And polluting the, the groundwater. No, it's uh, a different kind of frack. Uh, it's a embedded uh, device framework uh, for disassembling firmware uh, presented by uh, Ang Tui, I think is the correct name. Uh, excuse me if I got it wrong. Uh, the idea was that uh, often when we download firmware for devices... Uh, it's basically one big binary blob and it takes a bit of skill to figure out exactly how this blob is interpreted by the device on, on board. And if you want to modify it, it's quite a bit of work. So you've got to strip off the headers, you've got to figure out the compression, the compression will have an embedded file system, you've got to disassemble the file system. It takes a fair bit of, uh, of background knowledge. And so what this framework allows is effectively a console which will has a whole bunch of plugins and you, you simply drop the blob in there. It will identify the markers that it can spot and help you dig down further until the, the core bit of firmware that you're interested in. And there you might find things like TFTP passwords, for example. You may find out the update servers, what have you. So you'll find the back door that was embedded in it. You'll perhaps. find the back door the back that's been embedded, correct. Or, or possibly embed your own. So really this just, um, you drop in the blob and it breaks it down into the component parts as simply as it can. Because I mean, I, I would play with even open source firmware for things like DDWRT or OpenWRT routers. And even when you know the format, taking it down and, you know, okay, it's SquashFS and it's this and I got to uncompress that. And, you know, even when you know what it is to break it down, it's tough. So this just kind of takes it oh, out yeah. of those component pieces for very you. Very much so. This, this is sort of very much the, the disassembling uh, a new piece of malware where you don't know what the target is. And you've got to basically stare at it. And this is what Ang said. The hard part is actually staring at this binary blob and looking for markers that you spot through through uh, experience. And he's compressed all of this into a console, which kind of like Metasploit. You just type some commands in. You can add some scripts if you're clever enough. If you're not, you just use the, the console as is. And is that, is that a free tool that he's published online? or My heat-induced coma uh, makes my memory fail. Okay. Well, I'm sure folks can uh, can Google Frack and get some more details about his talk. And, of course, uh, the DEF CON and Black Hat websites have all the, the abstracts and information on that stuff as well. I went, you know, I've been interested since uh, here in British Columbia, we've been deploying smart power meters uh, for the better part of the last year. And, and I think within the next year, they're hoping to have them deployed nearly to every household here in BC. I, th I think in Australia, they're starting deployment soon as well. Yeah, and they're taken off in certain states in the U.S. I know Texas is using them, some other places. So I went to this talk, Looking into the Eye of the Meter, by Don Weber. And it was really, it was a great talk. And, and I, I really like Don's approach in that, you know, he's working with the meter manufacturers and with some utilities and this kind of thing. So the point of the talk wasn't to help you break in and steal power. It was more about 
all the different things you have to consider and all the different places where you might embed secrets, talking back to firmware that you just referenced, uh, you know, and, and how bad of an idea that is. Those things are extractable. They can be gotten to, you know, what are the vulnerabilities and what are the risks to the utility, to the consumer, to everyone else. And privacy concerns at that as well. Yeah. And also, what can you get through that eye? And for people who haven't seen one of these smart meters, Almost all of them have an infrared sensor on the front of them that you can use to communicate with the meter. And uh, some of that is intentionally open where you should be able to buy uh, an infrared transceiver, hook it up to your laptop and, and glean certain data from your meter that, that the power company doesn't consider to be sensitive or dangerous for you to communicate with. But because the manufacturers kind of provide, I would almost call it a clean palette, and then they give it to the power company to program, the, some of the power companies may be exposing things they shouldn't be exposing and not realizing that allowing some of that information to be readable or accessible through these things could allow you to compromise them and either cheat on your power or turn off your neighbor's electricity or this kind of thing. And so he explored all the different risks that are out there um, that can happen if the meter's tampered with. And then talked about all the different ways an attacker might uh, approach gathering that data in order to attack the meters. And it was just, uh, it, was, it was very well thought out without the hype. It wasn't, you know, the world's going to end, but we need to think about these things very carefully. And here's how we can approach the problem. Sounds great. Yeah, it was, it was pretty, it was pretty good. Um, but I, I, I gather that the, the, the last talk that you went to was rather entertaining from what I heard from people that went. It was, it was very entertaining. I, I'm not sure about the, uh, this, the disclosure aspect of it, as you mentioned earlier. It was presented by uh, Alberto Garcia Iera. I hope I've got that name right. Seem to have chosen all the hard ones this time. <laughs> yeah, I'm sticking with Don Weber and Moxie Marlin Spike. Uh, the talk was basically uh, how to hack transport networks uh, of a country. Alberto effectively pointed out that he's you know, a lonely student. He travels around, travels expensive, and how you might leverage the, the transport systems technology so that you don't have to jump the gates. He began by showing that you could take uh, tickets that had barcode on them or a, or a mag stripe and, let's say, rewrite it to your own liking. So you could convert a, a cheap ticket into a more expensive one. So, But his, his style of presentation was actually very entertaining and he had the, pretty much the whole, cap, the whole audience captivated, uh, which is somewhat of a different uh, view than the blackout talks, which quite often were very dry, except for, of course, like Charlie Millers, who's a very good accomplished speaker. Yeah, so uh, you were talking uh, when we spoke before the podcast too, that like, you know, he had done some uh, like uh, RFID tag or, or, or uh, NFC tag cloning and that kind of stuff. And I guess that's a really interesting point. Like, you know, how do you, you need two factors all the time, right? Like if, if people aren't looking at the photos on the ID or recognizing who should belong or who shouldn't belong, then simply having these smart badges doesn't really do much. That's right. The, the badges supposedly didn't show that there were RFID, but once they found out there were RFID, you could clone one and no one be the wiser. And so it does show this whole thing of security through obscurity almost seldom ever works when you have people that are cluey enough to go looking. Well, yeah, and I mean, we, we take that approach somewhat in this office, uh, unlike a lot of the other office offices, because, uh, you know, there's a, there's a lot of street people around the area in, in Vancouver where, uh, where we're based. And so we intentionally do not have the word Sophos on our RFID badges so that when we lose them at the pub or in the taxi cab or whatever, 
people can't just walk into the building and know where to use it. And so there are, you know, there it's still kind of security through obscurity, but you got to build these layers up of, you've got to be looking at people's ID when you're at well, central points of access into sensitive areas. You've got to be. I, I wish, I wish they'd apply that to my credit card because in, uh, while at Black Hat, I actually noticed a lot of people didn't check my signature. No, the, the American system is terrible for that. They either, uh, they either check every single thing uh, when you're trying to buy alcohol or cigarettes to the nth degree so that they can only process one person at the register every 15 minutes or it's the other way around and they just totally blow off the entire thing and just don't care and you get your thousand dollar tv for free <laughs> well i mean unfortunately uh you know zero liability don't worry about it it's all okay we just get a new card in fact i just got um um you know with the nfc stuff i just got a new card with the nfc thing which makes me really mad because i wrote on the thing for the card when they were sending me a new card i said do not send me the one with PayWave or PayPass. I don't want it. Thank you very much. And of course, they arrived with them anyway. So now I have to decide, do I do the bubblegum wrapper? Do I microwave it? Do I cut a small hole and try to convince people that it's actually a window that was built into the card? I wonder if you could take it to the library and, or the um, the shop thing with the big magnet and just wipe the thing. Yeah. Fry it. Yeah. yeah. Not, well, that's what I heard. Microwaving them for three seconds is supposed to do the trick. Yeah, I don't think it might leave your card in a good state either. <laughs> yeah, possibly. So in essence, the, the rule is uh, if you're looking hard enough then everything is breakable pretty much and i think some of the other interesting aspects of 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 that uh presentation were that if you're going to have a wi-fi router don't use self-signed certificates and don't put the router outside on public access yeah i mean i don't know how many times we have to keep saying this you know secure your wi-fi router thing it's just getting it's insane although i i am a little optimistic in that from my condo, I live in a rather tall building here downtown. I can see several hundred access points from my balcony. And uh, we're finally down to zero WEP. There's not a single WEP access point visible from my How balcony many open? anymore. There's a few open, and most of them are WPA2. Um, but there's no WEP, at least. I figure open, you choose open. You, you, it's not, I think I have security. It's, I know I don't have security. So that's a conscious choice some people want to make. I don't agree with them, but they're able to do that. The, 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 the web ones scare me because it's like I tried, but I didn't know. <laughs> and so, that, that, you know, that's a little better. And, and, one, and I think folks forget about the open Wi-Fi at the airports and the Starbucks and all that kind of stuff that if you're not VPNing, you're not safe at all. Yeah. And you really got to remember that. I mean, I set up a VPN at home. In fact, I'll do a brief product plug as I wrap up the Sophos Security Chat Chat episode 97, which is, um, you know, our Astero Security Gateways, uh, the, the Sophos Network Appliance, uh, is free for home use. So you can throw it on a VM and use it on your home network. And, oh, I, great. and I use it at home. And the first thing I did was set up a VPN so that I can VPN in for my iPad, VPN in for my Android. And as soon as I jump on the free Wi-Fi at the airport, I just hit the VPN button. I VPN into my home network using the Sophos Appliance. And, um, and and you're playing safe. And I'm playing safe, exactly. And it took me all of you know an hour to set it up, and I was good to go. Like, why wouldn't I? So on that note, uh, that concludes this chat chat. As always, for the latest security news, please visit nakedsecurity.sophos.com. Our podcasts are available at podcasts.sophos.com on RSS or via iTunes. And until next time, stay secure. See you, chat.